Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless Surya Namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist, yoga studio owner, and co-founder of a yoga-focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to Working in Yoga, a podcast and substitute water cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. friends. Welcome to Working in Yoga. This week, I have Nick Daniel on the podcast. Nick is a yin yoga pro and yoga for misfits leader, and she and I for sure share one core value, that you can be both anti-establishment as a yoga teacher and decide that you want to make a sustainable living. We as yoga pros, we don't have to choose between staying true to ourselves and our teaching and making a living. I know if you go on Instagram, you see all those quote-unquote yoga teacher advice gurus out there making funny reels with their pretty images on their pretty pages, with their pretty outfits. But if that isn't you, please take heart and don't worry. You can be yourself, find your people, and make money teaching yoga. Nick and I also talk about the grief that we all have from our COVID years as an industry. I will say that about two-thirds of the way through our talk, Nick references the challenges and grief of yoga studio owners and teachers, and we discuss how hard it is on communities to lose their landmark studios. Her comments just in that section are so worth the listen for the entire podcast, even though the rest she said is brilliant too, but I was moved just by listening back to them. We all need to take a collective pause to acknowledge how far we've come and how hard it was to get here. But... Before we get into our very interesting talk on money, marketing, and misfits, let me ask you to please subscribe to the podcast from wherever you're listening. It helps other yoga pros find us and share in our stories. Also, I would really love it if you signed up for the podcast newsletter. I really enjoy writing and connecting with all of you each Monday. And for the next week's letter, I'm chatting about all things yoga teacher trainings. I think we all believe that we have solutions for our current YTT situation, but the truth is that we are just likely scratching the surface of the large issues that we have in our training arena. So go ahead and head to the show notes and find the link for that newsletter. And finally, thank you now and forever to Sunlight Streams, our sponsor for this podcast. Sunlight runs an online self-care blog and is hosting a series of self-care workshops that are yoga-based the first full weekend of 2024. Grab the details on the blog at www.thesunlightexperience.com backslash blog. Now, on to my conversation with Nick Danio. Hey, friends. Welcome to Working in Yoga. Okay, this week we are going to talk all things counterculture and the friend Nick. So, Nick, will you introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure. 
Uh, my name is Nick Denu. I'm a yoga therapist, a yin yoga teacher trainer, a yoga business mentor. And of course, I also work with the general public as well. I teach what I call yoga misfits. So those are Gen X and sometimes early Y folks who don't feel at home in mainstream yoga circles. Um, the alternative folks, the punks, the geeks, the introverts, the bookworms. I um, think I'm going to add neurodiverse to that list as well, because that's myself and keeps coming up. So folks that could really benefit from yoga, but don't think they're yoga people and are intimidated by the fancy studios and the fancy pants and the, all of the things. Um, and so that's who I work with. And more specifically, um, I really love helping people with persistent back pain and anxiety relief, simply because those are the two things that I've benefited the most from, from therapeutic yoga. How did you get interested in yoga to that particular group of folks? It took a long time, actually, for me to uh, sort of identify them and then also just kind of claim them, um, which is kind of funny because essentially they're me before I found yoga. So really, it's like the it's like the ideal niche because it's who I was before I found yoga. Um, but basically, when I first started teaching yoga and I graduated my first teacher training program, I did go on a couple of studio interviews, but I didn't I didn't like the vibe um, and the answers to some of my questions. Questions like, "What do you cap your classes at?" And they'd look at me like, "Cap." Now, just dear listeners, this was long before COVID. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, I would say things like, okay, so if there's 20 people in the room versus 40, the teacher makes the same amount of money. And they were like, yes. And I was like, that doesn't seem to add up. And so there just wasn't any appeal there. And so my first couple classes were actually at um, private gyms, kind of like not gyms where you're doing yoga open space they had like separate rooms that were for the fitness things and it was all you know walled off with the door and so that's where I started teaching and then eventually I moved into letting those go one the first one happened by accident because um the gym was closing and I had a back pain class there that I was teaching and I was just like well guess I need to fill my Monday 12 o'clock time slot somewhere and my students were the ones that were like no what about our class and it's, it was downtown. And I was just like, well, where in the world am I going to move this class? So I told them, just take the summer off. Let me figure this out. And I just kind of went around and found a church that had space and started using the church. And from then on, about a year later, I had all of my classes run in what I call alternative spaces, um, you know, community, um, non-for-profit spaces, um, church basements, you know, and when I say church basements too, I don't want that to be like this dingy kind of old lino. Like these were like gorgeous spaces, beautiful acoustics and great lighting and beautiful old woodwork, like, you know, like equally beautiful to any studio you could be in. They just weren't a hundred percent yoga spaces. They were mixed spaces. Um, and that's kind of where I built most of my career. And so for years, I would look at my students when they were in Shavasana and try to figure out what they had in common, because it seemed kind of nebulous to me. Um, and then I, they answered it for me. Um, when they, they just said that 
you know, I was taking a summer off to go do more training. And one of the students said, can you recommend some videos? And this is back, back in the days of Gaim AMPM yoga, um, <laughs> VHS and DVDs yeah. that some of us had. Yeah. 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 So I recommended a couple of those and, and he said, yeah, but they don't teach like you do. And I was like, what do you mean by that? Explain. And he said, they don't teach for people who aren't flexible. Um, they don't teach yoga for those of us that like, aren't really yoga people. And so he kind of started me on, on that thread. I was like, that's what all of you have in common. Cause I really was struggling because I had different genders um, you know, everything from kind of elder Gen X to like early Gen Y in there. And I, I, like I was different tax brackets and depending on the neighborhood I taught, like, so I just couldn't figure out, you know, cause we're oftentimes people think a niche is a demographic. And so I couldn't figure out from that perspective, what these people had in common. Um, and then when he said that, that kind of started that train of, okay, but how do I find a, a word to identify these folks. And I started with the rest of us, but that still didn't quite hone it because there is this sort of, um, you know, I'm an ex-punk and I'm an alternative kid. And so I end up attracting people that are either like that, or at least really okay with that. Um, and so the rest of us kind of was still almost too broad. And then I think I was just having a conversation with my bestie and I said something about like, you know, if my classes were filled with nothing but a bunch of misfits, I'd be so stoked. And then she was like, uh, bingo. <laughs> I was like, that's it. <laughs> misfits. So that's sort of how it came about. Um, the back pain and the anxiety came from my own lived experience. So my very first yoga class, that's what hooked me to yoga. I didn't know I had anxiety back then. I thought I was just kind of prone to worry. And so that very first class was the first time that my mind was focused on one thing and I left completely hooked. So I always knew that that was one of the biggest benefits for me, but it wasn't until I was in my yoga therapy training that I started getting an inkling that like, this could be something that I help people with. Um, and the back hair, uh, I was a hairstylist before I became a, a yoga instructor and so, or yoga teacher for many years. So I had all kinds of stuff going on with my body that, um, and I started, so I started doing back hair fairly early, actually in my career. I did a lot of mentorship in back hair, even in my first teacher training, even though it was weird because at the time I thought, oh, I don't want to specialize in anything, but I, but I still sought out the back hair to mentor for some reason. So obviously there was a part of me that knew better. How's your experience been as a yoga professional with yoga professionals? I have found those of us who are a little bit of misfit towards myself tended to have a hard time connecting with us, especially folks who were in it for fitness and bendiness and pretty pants and all of those things. Like I always knew that part of the industry wasn't for me. Did you have a hard time finding other yoga you or no? Were there plenty where you were? Uh, there was plenty. Yeah. But the difference is that when you are, um, when you're part of the, I'm just going to call it the yogi verse, um, you know, and you are into the, I just want to roll up to the yoga studio in my cute pants with my green smoothie and rock a yoga class and leave. 
Um, if you're not that, which I'm not, although I do love me a good pair of organic cotton leggings as much as the next girl, but you know, um, but when you, when you are not in love with that model and it kind of breaks your heart a little bit actually to watch something that you love and that has brought so much joy and peace and healing to your life be, uh, cracked up as like another air quotes workout, um, so if that's not what you want to do, then it is, it is a little harder because I had to kind of build my own ship. You know, I couldn't just go to a yoga studio and say, Hey, I actually don't want to teach most of your clients. <laughs> I kind of want to do my own thing. Um, and so, I mean, I just had to do my own thing. So it was, a so I had to set it up. Um, so it wasn't hard to find them. Now keep in mind though, this was like early two thousands. I don't think that what, how I built my business is going to work for, for newer teachers because we're just in a totally different market. First of all, there was no social media like at all. Yep. Um, there was, I mean, there was internet and email, but you know, it was, people weren't, um, there was no Netflix, you know, like none of this, um, culture that we currently are enmeshed in existed back then. So it was for me as simple as oh, I have found a beautiful and inspiring location in this church. Yay, I have secured this location with my money. Now I will make posters and I will go around and hang them on telephone poles because I'm old school guerrilla marketing girl. And those classes will fill and they will send their friends. And then I will add more classes. Like that's literally how I built my business was put up posters, people inquire, they come to class, they bring their friend, their partner, their neighbor, et cetera, et cetera. And then before you know it, now I'm there. Now, since moving to where I live now and having to start over, it's very different than how it was back home, you know, in the early 2000s. Um, posters are still highly effective. And I honestly think it's one of the things that yoga teachers undervalue the impact of a well-designed color poster hung in a strategic location. Um it's dirt cheap advertising and it works way better than social media. Um, so, you know, I do still think that some of these old school guerrilla marketing um, efforts totally work to build a business, but there's also, we get distracted by the other things, right? Like the social media and the, you know, so it's, it almost feels like I probably spend twice as much time marketing my business now as I did when I was a new teacher. Yeah, I didn't market at all for probably the first 15 that. And I, like you, I only had one studio class and I was in libraries and churches. I taught out of hospitals. I taught in a random spot that you could put a yoga class is where I taught. Mm -hmm. Before I told you, like, I actually taught at the space that used to have livestock auctions after my class. I mean, like, seriously, because I live in the middle of the United States, right? Midwest, there is farm area here. Nobody talks about how we get wellness to rural people. I used to go communities and be like, look, the only place to teach is a place with livestock auction. And I made great money, better money than I ever did running a studio, working that kind of business. But I think you're right. It's not like that anymore. Our industry changed. How do you think it's changed? Um, well, I'm going to just say an unpopular opinion now. Yay. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I got lots of those. Um, <laughs> I, I market is far more saturated now. Back yeah. when I started teaching yoga, if you said you were a yoga teacher, people were like, sorry, what? What's <laughs> yep. your job? What? What did you say? You yeah. What? Yeah. Um, now, because there's so many, um, I mean, every studio pretty much has a teacher training program. And, you know, we could, I mean, the, my rant about the 200 hour model of teacher training programs could be for a whole other episode, but, um, <laughs> because of that, it's like, it's like a factory system that we've got going here. We're, we're getting more and more yoga teachers who are, um, just kind of going through these programs and then being tossed out and tossed to the wolves, you know, having no idea a much about yoga from that, but also be like, Oh, if I want to actually do this as a business, like how, like that wasn't in my training. Like, how do I actually, how do I do this? Um, so that's changed. There's a lot more teachers. Now, when I say that the market is saturated, what I think it's saturated with is a specific kind of style of yogi. Um, it's saturated yes. with 200 hour trained vinyasa flow teachers, um, yes. or 200 hour hot yoga teachers. What it's not saturated with is people that have therapeutic leanings or, you know, really want to specialize with specific populations. So I do think saying the yoga market is saturated. Sometimes people say I'm being pessimistic, but I actually look at that as an opportunity for anybody who wants to to really kind of dive into their heart and see, okay, but what do I want to do with this? Who do I want to serve? Where do I want to be? What about this is important to me? And then to kind of go out and, and do that, you know? Um, but I think unfortunately what the market is saturated with is, uh, again, 200 hour, typically vinyasa or hot teachers who um, just have this dream in their mind because they've seen some yoga teachers at their studio and they think that that's like some fancy ideal life. They don't actually get a glimpse into a day in the life of a yoga teacher before they sign up for their teacher training. And of course they often don't tell you that before you sign up for a teacher training, because you might not sign up for that teacher training. If you knew that, by the way, you're going to graduate and good luck now, here you go. Yeah. And I also think that it presents an unrealistic um, goal to a new teacher. Like when I started my first teacher training, um, it wasn't an Iyengar certification program because we all know that takes like a century, but it was, uh, 300 hours. So 200 hours plus a hundred hours of mentorship. And, but every single teacher other than one in that program was Iyengar certified. So although it wasn't technically an Iyengar certification program, that was the lens that the whole program was presented through. And so I saw very clearly that even my senior teacher who'd been teaching for ever was going back to India every year and learning more and, you know, and that there were, um, these levels in their certification and that it took them years sometimes to, to get to the next, you know, I can't remember what they are now, you know, junior intermediate, whatever they were, yeah. um, yeah. you know, it took years of hard work and dedication and really investing their time and their money into yoga for them to get to that. Whereas now I feel like, um, and, and I think part of this is on the, on the people running the teacher training program. It's, it's, you know, I guess it's technically not lying if it's omission, 
maybe, I'm not sure. Um, but they're not presented with the truth of it that like, you know, you're going to graduate, you're going to feel lost. You really should get a mentor. You're not going to be doing this for a living full time right out the gate. This is going to take time. Um, and if we look at other industries, doctors, for example, they have to do residency. They don't just graduate medical school and like, bing, there you go. Um, you know, we've all seen in movies, I'm sure journalists, you know, that are starting with their local paper and basically they graduate and they just are coffee slave for the first two years. And then they somehow eventually get an opportunity to write a story and then it starts to build. But for some reason in our industry, it's presented like you just graduate your 200 hour you get your fancy pants probably for free because you're an influencer and <laughs> off you off you go, you know, and it just that's not real life. <laughs> no, it's not. And I, so when I first started teaching and I was teaching all of. So I was teaching 18 classes a week, which is like one of these stories I've told pregnant with my daughter and my water broke and I met my class to tell them I couldn't teach and things because you were go like you know you have to show up or your students don't show up for it's just the number one lesson is you have to show up and that was the game at that time there's not 18 classes a week worth of work for most yoga teachers agreed so agreed. that model doesn't work no. so now what so now what i find to be a challenge is that the industry is real who came of age when we were working, when to acknowledge we don't exist in that industry anymore. And I'm curious your thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, even when I graduated, I remember running into the director um, out and about of my first teacher training program and he asked me how I was doing. And I said, oh, great. <clears throat> I said, I'm, I'm, I said, I'm teaching full time. I finally let go of my little Joe job, which pun intended, because it was a barista job. And um, he's like, oh, so you're one of the rare miracle people who's actually making a living teaching full time. And I remember thinking, why didn't you tell us that at the beginning of the program? So oh, even shit. back then, even yeah. back then, most of the people, like you said, that were making a living doing yoga were either um, had a a wealthy spouse <laughs> who helped to carry yep. the lack of money that they were making so that they could have um, a normal sane amount of classes and actually still afford to go on trainings. Or you had folks like you and I that were like, just add another class. I'll just add another class. I'll add another class yep. and another class and another class until you go start raving mad and you hit your first burnout. Um, I say first, because apparently I need more than one before I get things. <laughs> um, and so I really don't know even then the model was kind of broken, um, but it's definitely not there now. Um, and especially in my little city where I live. Um, so, you know, you know, just off the West coast where, you know, it's all about coffee and yoga here. Um, but <laughs> over COVID due to the shutdowns, which we had repeatedly, because in my province, yoga is situated with fitness, not wellness. So that one simple difference in the law, if we were deemed wellness, we would have been closed once. And then we would have had parameters, of course, but we would have been able to continue, you know, with spacing and masks and sanitizing and all that stuff. But instead, yeah. because we were fitness, we were closed five times. Ugh. And 
we have lost nine yoga studios in my city, just gone under because they could not take. So the model has been broken for a long time. Um, so, so now if you're a young yoga teacher and you finished your teacher training, maybe just before COVID or finished it online during COVID, and you're literally watching studios just pop, 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 all start to vanish. I mean, it really does, you know, I couldn't teach, I couldn't find 18 classes a week here and I have over 19 years experience. So definitely not going to (laughs) happen. We 60% of our studios closed during COVID. I just, wasn't enough support for us as an industry in the States. We had some, we have, um, as you're well aware, there's an overarching body that is our trade organization, that trade organization. And I always say this every time I reference the science, you look pretty today. I hope your breakfast was great. Um, choose. <laughs> um, but they actually didn't side the fitness and wellness world to advocate for relief for yoga students letter they could have signed they opted not to so um i know yeah <laughs> for those of you who are not here nick's eyes just got gigantic <laughs> chose to side with ursa which is our fitness organization trade organizations and so we got nothing i mean i was lucky i was with i was in one state i lasted long enough to the end of 2021 where finally money for us but that was two years nearly that Mm -hmm. i had we had no support and that's when those you know 60 studios just left how can you sustain that i was lucky enough to be a yoga and i get paid very well as a yoga therapist my yoga therapy kept us open and kept employed um but if if you are hot space, dear God, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, mm-hmm. where you're pumping in, which is the antithesis of what, you know, was trans- COVID transmittable, like, that was just a nightmare. How could you, of course, sing? And I think that that's part of the reason that the government here, even despite mass petitions going around, um, had trouble because it was like, how do they delineate, for example, these would be the policies for a hot studio versus the policies for me, where I teach a therapeutic class for Island mental health, where we don't even stand up, you know, like, it's like that the government doesn't have that kind of a nuanced understanding of yoga in order to make these kinds of decisions. Um, And what I think a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of yoga studios are essentially running as a non-for-profit, just unofficially, meaning there ain't no money in the bank. So if they close and now they've got to pay that big overhead and no one's in the building and some of the studios I taught at, I'll just be honest, dropped the ball when it came to moving stuff online fairly quickly. And even ones where I volunteered and I was like, look, I'm already doing this at another studio. You have that small room. 
No one is in the building. Let me set up an iPad and, and let's let teachers, if they, you know, cause some of us, some people couldn't do it from their homes cause they had kids and, you know, we're homeschooling and all the other things. I was like, let us get this going. And they just, whether it was their own nervous system or whatever was going on, they just kind of let it slide long enough that people fell off. Another yeah. studio I taught at, she was really good with like, we're getting on zoom right away, but that a lot of her particular clientele was people that had a lot of, you know, health things and, um, you know, that they, they, a lot of restorative classes and things like that. And that just couldn't, they couldn't really do that on, on zoom. Cause they don't have five bolsters and 20 blankets and all the things. And so instead of just kind of keeping their membership with the studio to keep it alive, they canceled. And then, and then other studios, we did have some loans here. So we didn't really have just like handouts for yoga businesses. That was definitely not a thing. There were some loans that you could take out that you wouldn't have to pay back until later. But then now some of those studios are having to sell because they took out the loan and it kept them afloat. And some of them even moved and did renovations and things. But now it's like, okay, but are the numbers there to support the bare bones running of your studio, which was already challenging. And now these loan repayments. So that's why we've seen, I think, you know, some of them closed right away. And then some of them have closed even, you know, in this last year, because I think just when those loan payments came in, it was like, we're done. Yeah. I think that's something we're not acknowledging enough. It is still hard out there. It is not like we had some giant economic recovery. I do think there is a desire to see more yoga that is less wellness or less fitness wellness. I enjoy that shift that we're shifting away from beach body to mental health supporting yoga. Like that is great for my business because we've been forever. It's still hard out there. It's still yoga is an extra that a lot of have expendable cash for unless you're mm -hmm. marketing to the very wealthy. Mm -hmm. It's a hard, it's a hard road still. Mm -hmm. And that's what some of the reason why I've set my business model up in the way that I have even pre COVID. Um, so my classes are run on a sliding scale and I also have one scholarship spot for each class. And so that if there is somebody, now there has to be some parameters around that because I have had people take advantage of that scholarship spot. So I've had to put in some, like an agreement, you know, with that spot because yes. there is only one per class. You know, I have had people say they really want it. And then they show up for two classes and I don't see them because, and I get it. Mental health is an issue, but you know, I need to, you know, my classes, I do teach at one yoga studio. It's kind of my, um, exceptional unicorn to my rule of like, I don't really teach in studios and I don't like dropping classes. It's a very special place. So I do teach two drop-in classes there a week that are candlelight yin classes. Of course, they're therapeutic because once you are a yoga therapist, you see the whole world through that lens, but they're not marketed yes. that way, you know? Um, so there's a huge amount of nervous system nourishment and all of that in there. It's just not, it's just not a, it's not touted as a selling feature, but it's the same. Um, but I think that, you know, trying to make yoga accessible financially and still get paid as a yoga teacher that is the tricky bit. Um, and yeah. I certainly don't have all the answers. Um, 
but yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal, whether it was as a studio or as a solo teacher, when you are looking at, you know, you're sitting at home because you're closed once again. And meanwhile, people are all out at the mall shopping and you're like, I could be helping people, you know, <laughs> like the world is suffering yeah. right now, yeah. you know? Um, and so, you know, whether a solo teacher or a studio, I mean, our industry has been, at least where I live, has been devastated by this. Um, yes. So many studios have gone, so many yoga teachers are not teaching yoga anymore, or they've taken on a full-time job and they're teaching twice a week. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having a job and teaching yoga. Sometimes I think if I was freaking smart, I would do the same, but I just can't because this is in my, I I've been teaching so long. It's like, I, I just, uh, this is, this is what I do. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, sometimes that's smart because it does take some of the pressure off of your classes. Um, but for those of us that are long-term, you know, old schooler teachers who like, this is in our blood, this is what we do. It's been, it's been rough. Like it's even, um, I would say that a lot of students kind of fell off of their practice over COVID, whether it was because they couldn't imagine how a Zoom class would be. And so they just didn't, um, or whether it was because sometimes, and we all do this and I don't know the psychology of it. I would love for somebody to tell me sometimes we, we don't do in the moments where we really need the thing, the thing that we really need to do, you know, like I really should be going for a walk right now because that's going to be better for my nervous system, but I'll do it after I return 10 more emails. And so I think there was a lot of that happening in COVID where it's like people that were regularly doing yoga just kind of fell off. And then the longer the break is, the harder it is for them to come back because not only are they like, you know, uh, needing to come back and, you know, and they've lost their studio. So, so many of them just even finding somewhere now to go and like, but I had my teachers in my spot and, you know, and it's, it's so it's like, it's such a hard thing. There's so much grief still around it. And then, you know, I'll see them sometimes wandering into the one studio that I teach at. And I, I have, I know them from other places I taught at that have closed. And as soon as they see my face, they just, oh, and they start crying, you know? Yeah. So there's a huge percentage of people that haven't come back, which is also an issue. And that's something that um, I've been really struggling with, like how, uh, you know, I, I'm not interested really in reaching. I mean, it's fine if they come, but brand new people have never tried yoga. That's great. But like, I'm more like, hey, where are y'all? You know, like I run into them on the street and they're like, oh, I'm so glad to run into you. Where are you teaching? You know, and then I put them yeah. on my email list and I send it to them and I don't see them because it's like it's almost harder than starting again the first time because they also are bombarding themselves with the shoulds. Oh, I should have been doing this. And then there's some guilt and yes. shame about the fact that they haven't been doing it. And then that makes it harder for them to do it. And not long ago in September, I sent out a, a video in my newsletter going through all of this, you know, like, and I used the analogy of the farmer's market. Like I really love the farmer's market, but I haven't been back since COVID. And what if the farmer's market just closed because nobody was shopping there anymore. Now insert the word yoga, you know, um, yeah. and just said, like, I get it. I get that. Like, it feels hard and you feel guilt and shame. And I'm like, you just got to let that shit go. Cause yoga doesn't care. Yoga does not care no. how long it's been. Just come on back because you need it. And yoga needs you. I highlight something you said, we are still grieving. Mm -hmm. There is and loss amongst us. Even 
I would say last year studio sold that was one of I don't know if you ever watched the show Game of Thrones mm -hmm. like <laughs> like like we had studios that were like the legacy house all fought each other just like Game of Thrones and they all, were all trying to take over each other's terraces but one of those legacy studios sold to someone else mm. moment of grieving oh it's for this person who mm. lasted through so much of covid and it is we are not what we were mm -hmm. even if what we were was times it was we are not that we are building something new and there is like there is a loss there there is mm -hmm. a a pause of we have to shift how we do everything we lost three legacy studios yeah like it's, these were hubs in the community where people went and sat and had tea and chatted after class and I think that that's sometimes as much as I am kind of like a hey I prefer to do it in the church basement and you know but that's just because I like running my own show um but as much as I, I feel that way I also know that yoga studios are a second home for people Yes. You know, they have their home, they have their work, which probably isn't really their home. And then they have their yoga space where they go and they see their teachers and they see the same people, you know, uh, from week to week. And so they're grieving the loss of their practice. They're grieving the loss of their teachers. They're grieving the loss of their second home and that community. And they're doing all of that while their nervous systems are being ravaged by constant and ever-changing information about a, vi a virus that could kill you. Like, my God. If we're not, I mean, I'm amazed any of us are standing. <laughs> it's true. Honestly, like, it's like, how did we even do this? Like, I don't know. <laughs> There's actually um, a social Robert Putnam who wrote a book about referencing what's called the third. And it used to be that people had three places in their lives, home, work, and church. Mm. In church, you were in a bar. And so yoga studios have become place for mm -hmm. so many people where you can find connection and community and a space for you to you know pour your energy into and people lost that third place teachers and students alike that was a loss mm -hmm. still kind of reeling from it I think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's I mean and I I think um you know, as the teachers, but then I also think about the owners, like I can't imagine being yeah. a studio owner because there is so much blood, sweat and tears and more tears and more tears that go into running so a business what? like that, you know, and then to have, have it be, I mean, I, I know that it feels like to them, it's been taken from them, you know, because yes they, you know, I mean, and I even remember at one point just uh, saying to somebody that, you know, and then the financial anxiety, whether you were an independent teacher or a studio owner, you know, like I remember saying to somebody that like, this is the first time in my life that my ability to earn has been controlled by a force outside of myself. That has never happened to me before. You know, if I was a little slow, I mean, when I was a hairstylist and I started building, I had a side job. When I quit doing hair and became a yoga teacher and graduated my program, I had a little side job while I was building. 
And, you know, we couldn't even do side jobs. A lot of us, I mean, I do know yoga, yoga teachers or yoga teachers who did, um, you know, quit, um, teaching and go work in grocery stores or do organic farming or house cleaning or God knows what, right. To make ends meet. But also there wasn't a ton. It's not like coffee shops and stuff were hiring. They were closed. Or if they were open, it was like, you go in, you get your thing, you leave. So yeah, it was a, it was a really stressful time. And I think, like you said, I think, I think all of us collectively as, as yoga professionals, whether you're a studio owner and a, or a teacher, need to just take a pause and really acknowledge like holy crap what did we just get through yeah it's where do we go from here how do we rebuild and how do we rebuild in a doesn't strip us all the way that the industry did before because there Mm -hmm. was there was more for us the cost for a lot of us emotional for the broken hearts of graduating those teacher training programs where nobody told you you couldn't make a living out there and going, I was lied to by mm-hmm. my sacred teacher. Mm-hmm. Special kind of heartbreak. Mm-hmm. How, where where do we go forward? Well, uh, maybe I'll, I'll speak to the kind of the new teacher first. Um, first of all, be patient. I know that you weren't told this, but even before COVID, <laughs> um, that, that life that you were sold was not going to happen. Um, so if you have a day job, keep it and slowly really start to build your yoga business from a place of your, from your heart. Um, I'm a, I'm a big lover of specializing because I think it gives, especially new teachers, um, a, a way to kind of carve out a business for themselves and to really help people that in a way that like really lights them up, because let's face it, when we were teaching 18 classes a week, there was classes there. We didn't love that. We were just like, <laughs> you, you know, know it. it's like, ah, oh, right. Oh, what was the one I saw it strengthened something or other one. I was like, oh, really? Like, I don't like chaturanga. Um, you know, <laughs> it's like, why am I <laughs> teaching this class? But you know, um, we had to do that. So I think be patient. I'm sorry that you weren't told that you were probably going to have to spend somewhere between five and eight years to do this as a livelihood, but that is, I think the reality of the situation. Um, and so, you know, if you have financial support at home and you can do this part-time do, or if you can get another job, like do that so that you can really build this in a smart strategic, but yet super heartfelt way. Um, so that would say that for the new teachers and for those of us veterans that have survived, just give yourself a pat <laughs> on the back. <laughs> just give your your, yes. <laughs> g- yeah. Give yourself a pat on the back. And, and again, I think, again, I'm going to just harbor on the, on the, the niching thing, because um, I really do think that it is the, the smartest and the most impactful way for a solo yoga teacher to make a difference in the world and also to feed themselves. Because those shouldn't be separate, right? You should be able to feed yourself, chuck some money in the bank, eat organic when possible, um, and help people and save the world. Maybe I'm naive, but I've been doing it. (laughs) 
other than this yeah, latest glitch, other than this latest glitch that we've had, you know, over the last few years. So, so I think specializing is helpful, you know, uh, niching, niching, finding out who you really feel the strongly pulled to serve. Um, and that's, and, and I also want to say that's really hard to do. Like when I work with teachers, the hardest thing that we do. And the thing that takes the longest is figuring out your niche. Who do you want to serve? What do you help them with? But once you do, everything else gets a little easier because you don't feel so scattered. What content do I create? What do I, it's like, you know, we can just feel like there's so much shiny object syndrome as, as yoga teachers now. So much. And, and it's, I, I, what I see with new teachers, a lot of shiny object syndrome and a lot of avoidance difficulty of getting better at a skill. Mm-hmm. You just have to do it better at it. You have to teach. While there was absolutely those classes we didn't love to make me a better teacher. Hell yeah, they did. <laughs> Every class of two people taught meant that I could walk into another room and answer the call of the people in because I had, mm-hmm. you have to teach to people if there's only two of them there mm-hmm. and, and it sucks and you got to do it. Yeah. And I, I would also say too, on that note, um, being overly attached to your class plan is yeah. something that happens with new teachers. I know it happened with me. I remember the day so clearly where I forgot my, this is before iPads and iPhones y'all. That's how long ago it was my little piece <laughs> of paper where I had printed it out and put it in a little clear sleevey thing. And yeah. you know, um, I had forgotten it at home. And I remember sitting at the front of the room about 15 minutes before class started and panicking. Um, but that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So now I don't eat, now I don't do plans. I have a recipe that I, I like to call it a recipe because I can add and subtract ingredients based on what's in front of me and what the needs of the group are. Um, and I do a check-in each, each class with people just to, you know, a little, how are you? Um, we do it as a group. They always have the right to pass, but just your name and how you're doing. And that informs what I take in and what I add and what I move around. Um, so as a brand new teacher, you just need to teach, right? As you just said, like you might teach things that you don't like. That's good. Because now you know, hmm, yeah, when I specialize, not that, <laughs> not that, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it helps you learn. So if you really are struggling with, because I find that some new teachers really are struggling with niching because they literally don't have enough experience in front of people. And so if yes. that's you, you just need to teach. You teach everyone, you try everything, and then you start keeping notes. But like, what did I love about this? Nope, not that. Some yoga teachers, though, new teachers came into yoga because of a transformational experience that yoga gave them personally um, or someone they love. You know, like I know I've worked with somebody, for example, who teaches yoga for Parkinson's because her dad had Parkinson's. Well, mm-hmm. that's a no brainer niche right there. You know, like yeah. you feel, yeah. you feel called to it based on your personal experience. So now you can go and, and, you know, do more study and, you know, so I think there's kind of two ways that new teachers go. Those that had something about yoga make a massive impact for them in their own life personally or a loved one it's an easy one to figure out you know if their mother had breast cancer for example or if they're a cancer survivor i mean that's an obvious one um but if you're not sure just teach and be patient because yes. you don't want as a brand new teacher 20 classes a week 
that are full to the rafters. You might think you want that, but you will have a meltdown if that happens <laughs> when you're a new teacher. You will stand in front of that room and whether it's, you know, humility, imposter syndrome, low self-esteem, I think those can be all tied together. Whatever will happen, you'll look at the group and you'll be like, oh no. Like, so be grateful for the classes where two people showed up because two people showed up to your class and you have an opportunity there to, like you said, to really kind of customize and hone and learn from those two people. What are their needs and what can you offer them? Um, So, yeah, I think that's where we go from there. And as far as the studio model, I don't know. It's so hard to say. Like, I just think, you know, people used to ask me because I do have some business savvy. So they'd say, oh, do you want to open a studio? And I used to before COVID say, if I had a business partner with the exact opposite skill set from me, I would do it. You know, like someone who likes to keep books and that stuff. Like I can handle the marketing. (laughs) I can make the space pretty. I can welcome the people. um, But I need somebody that can handle that kind of stuff that I'm not good at. Um, So I used to say, you know, if I had that opportunity, maybe. And then over COVID, I was just like, oh, no, you could no way. I can't imagine the stress that studio owners have had to do paying for a space that they can't use. I mean, just the anxiety level alone. So I think if, if you're a studio owner and you've survived, you might have to get creative, um, you know, to kind of refill the coffers, so to speak, or to pay off those loans that you got to stay open. Um, One free idea that I don't see any yoga studios doing. So I'm just going to put it out there for all of you to use, please have community nights that aren't yoga classes. Oh, they're the best. Like have a potluck, get a yoga, get a doc, a yoga documentary that you can all watch together, popcorn. Like, you know, we always think of things like curtain and yes, those are great, but like have events where someone could maybe bring their aunt who doesn't do yoga because you're going to watch this documentary or, you know, we need community even more now. So I would say get really creative with, um, with having, you know, classes that are maybe outside of the box or events in your space that are outside of the box. Um, you know, maybe partnering with non-for-profits so that they're also promoting your studio. Um, you know, we've, you really got to get creative, but I think that there's, there's ways to do it. Yeah. Both those things. I do partner with nonprofits because that's how I do service. So I don't do sliding. I build service into my business model. Um, so for every 10, I have one available member spot for folks who are coming from what space. Um, also, this year, everybody should steal this. I did a murder mystery night at my studio, Ooh. and it was a members-only event. I will tell you, ChatGPT wrote all the characters, and it was alarming how it nailed. It was like, write 25 characters for a murder mystery night. Give us one sentence on what they wear. And I was like, oh, my God, we're all here. Former cops, military, sweet-level people, the dude who quit his job to be a surfer, they were all like I was like whoa but it was it was so much fun mm-hmm. and that perspective those people will never leave they all had such a good time they will have to move first anymore I mean they might I'm not gonna say never never but 
they're very dedicated to friends now. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Also, studio owners ask your teachers if there's a particular group or population that they really feel called to serve that they're not serving. Yeah. Because the reason that we think there's not enough yoga studios and or, or not enough yoga students out there is because we keep teaching the same ones. It's like everyone's fighting for the same ones. It's like, you know, there's massive amounts of people out there who aren't doing yoga because they think they can't do yoga or they're not yoga people. I know because I teach them. Um, So, you know, ask each of your teachers, hey, we'd like to start supporting our community to a larger scale. Is there a group or a population that you really feel called to serve that you want to offer, whether it's a workshop or a, a small registered series to? So that you're bringing people into your space that, um, you know, that wouldn't have come. And I would say the same thing for teachers. It's a little bit harder if you're a solo teacher to do that, but, you know, partner up with people in your community, even if it's just other healthcare practitioners and, and offer, you know, rent a space and do a small registered series to bring people into being exposed to yoga that, that aren't at this point. Yes, only 12% of the population. And for some reason, we're fighting for that 12% instead of going after the 88 doesn't. That number needs to go way up. Yeah, right? Yeah. Nick, tell everybody where to find you. Yeah, so um, my website is nickdanu.com, N-Y-K-D-A-N-U.com. From there, there's a little portal it'll say students or teachers so if you're a teacher click the teacher button um and from there i have some you know stuff to help you with your business i also teach yin yoga teacher trainings that are therapeutic so if anybody's interested in that they get all of that there um i'm at the time of this recording i may be back on by the time it goes out live uh, i'm on a small social media detox i do that for a month a couple times a year but i am on instagram as well just at nick danu yoga and I've recently just started a podcast. It's like a baby little podcast and it's called a yin yoga podcast. It's super, Yay! super niche. Yeah. So if you like yin yoga and you like podcasts or you want to learn more about yin, you can just find that everywhere that you listen to your podcasts. It's called a yin yoga podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Nick. Here are our key takeaways. Yoga has a long history, especially in the late nineties and early two thousands of having classes in alternative spaces, like those that Nick hosts. Church basements, back rooms of cafes, attics, parks, we started yoga in those spaces. It wasn't really until the mid-teens that yoga moved as an industry solidly into the yoga studio spaces that we see today. Next, guerrilla marketing does still work. Nick mentions this, and I do it too. I love a good poster or flyer for local events. Don't necessarily put all your eggs in the social media basket, especially if you're looking for a diverse group of students in your classes. Your marketing needs to be just as diverse. The market is saturated is a complicated but somewhat true sentence. As Nick says, the hot power vinyasa teacher market is quite full, but for those of us who have a more therapeutic leaning, there really is a true need for what we have. We got very little relief as businesses during COVID anywhere. So for those of us who are still standing as businesses and business owners, we should be proud of ourselves. It will probably be another five years before someone asks me how my studio is doing, and I say something other than, well, we're still open. 
which folks I think feel is me being pessimistic, but to me is a reason to be proud. I am proud to still be here, and you should be too. When you see students who have fallen off their practice time with you, make sure you give some grace and support to them. It is often harder to get back into a practice than to get started. Grief is something we need to talk about. I know I've said it before. I did an entire podcast on this. But we have suffered so much loss as an industry in the last three and a half years. Maybe you too lost a legacy studio in your area that meant something to you. We should truly pause and continue to acknowledge that loss. And finally, as Nick said, you should be able to feed yourself, chuck money in the bank, eat organic whenever possible, and help people in the world. Yes, you absolutely should, without question. And I truly hope that we all dig in and build that yoga industry together. Now, next week on the podcast, I have a solo episode on yoga teacher training programs. I asked a heated question in a Facebook group of yoga studio owners and got some amazing answers about why we do or don't host YTTs in our studios and what the purpose of those YTTs serves for those studios. I think you will be surprised at what comes up. So let's make it a date together around the water cooler then, okay? Until next time, I am so grateful you are here. Thank you for listening.